meditation. So, uh, what I want to talk about this morning, of course, is a song practice, which is also called uh, Wadu practice. And basically, this is a practice about doubt. Because as uh, the saying goes, great doubt leads to great awakening. Little doubt, little awakening, <laughs> no doubt, no awakening. <laughs> so, but what is this doubt? Because actually in English, that's why we're not thereafter, we'll actually use more the term questioning, which I think might be more appropriate in terms of how we use doubt in English. But if you look at doubt in terms of the Buddhism, Buddha Dharma, actually in the early text, doubt is the fifth of the five obstacles on the way. And then the doubt that he's talking about is the doubt that makes us lose confidence, the doubt that makes us confused, the doubt that makes us vacillate. Should I do this? Should I do that? I'm not sure, but what about this? But really, I don't. And so often, such a doubt will stop us and will, in a way, uh, stop our energy. And often the expression of the doubt is, what should I do? But the what should I do is based a little on this lacking confidence or lacking information or there is something lacking. So there is like a little tension, there is a little stress with this doubt. And that's why it's seen as an obstacle because it stops us from having this energy of having this confidence in ourselves, in the practice, which is actually the expression of the four, of the fourth vow. The Buddha's way is great, you could say, my, our potential is high, how can I develop it? I vow to develop it. So I think this is very much about, if you have this kind of, uh, stressed out, then it's hard to see, to see clearly, basically. And so that's why it's seen as an obstacle in the early text. But then, if you look in the early text, you have the seven factors of awakening. And one of the first ones is investigation of Dharma. So it's about questioning. And to me, investigation of Dharma in the early text is generally about the three characteristics of impermanence, of dukkha, of conditionality. Dukkha meaning many different things, and I'm not translating it because Stephen will very likely explain it at some point because he's big into dukkha. <laughs> so this will be revealed. So, here it has a certain framework, and I think it's very important to see different tradition will use investigation of Dharma in different ways to help us to go to understanding, to awakening, to wisdom, to compassion. And in the Son tradition, over time, they develop this investigation of the Dharma in a very characteristic way. 
which is actually very, you could say, at one level very radical, but also very experiential. But I think the investigation of the Dharma in the early texts is the same. It's very experiential about experiencing change now, experiencing conditionality now, not an abstract research, but as an experience. And so in a way, the, the questioning in Zen, in Song, in Chan, it has the same, actually, point of using the brightness, using the energy to help us to look in the experience, instead of going too much in the commenting, the abstracting of the experience. So it's the investigation of Dharma is really what is not so much what should I do and wondering and vacillating, but it's more about what is going on now. How can I be clear about what is going on now? And what is going, and I think investigation of Dharma is about that. What is going on now? And so in different tradition, for us to be clear about what is going on now, then we'll have very different method. Being aware of change, being aware of condition. In the Tibetan tradition, they will look at being aware of uh, selflessness, not self, emptiness, etc. We'll talk more about this later. So the way that was developed over time in the Chan Son tradition was this direct, what they call direct inquiry in the moment through the method of repeatedly asking a question and then there is a hope, the, the little kind of thing, without looking for an answer. But first maybe I have to place the question in its context. So the, the way often the practice in song, because you have to see that you have two types of uh, song, uh, uh, there it's better to say two types of Zen, two types of Chan, is what is called Linchi or Rinzai, or Imje, Chan Song Zen, or Tao Tung Soto Zen. So Tao Tung Soto Zen is more what is referenced to just sitting, silent illumination, which also is a very good practice too, but I would say it's the hardest practice to just sit there without doing anything. This is, I think, the hardest thing to do. And it suits some people very well. But what we trained in is the other practice of Rinzai, Linchi, Imje Song, which is the one using these questions. Wadu, as they would say in Korea. So you have the story, so you have many different questions you can ask, and some are weirder than others. I mean, one of the one in Korea which I thought was intriguing was the teeth on the wooden board. Why the teeth on the wooden board? This, I think, is a little esoteric. <laughs> I never found out the story about that one. I just knew the question about it. <coughs> so what we choose to use is one of the uh, questions which is, what do which is used, which is very common in Korea, which is, what is this? And so the, the story is 
that you have a great master, you have a young disciple who walked many days, arrived to see the master, and the master says, you know, where do you come from? The fellow said, from far away. And then the master says, what is this? And how did he get here? The young person remains speechless and take, of course, the shortcut of Zen and sit for eight years. <laughs> Question about the shortcutting, but never mind. And then, after eight years of hard practice, he understands. So then he goes back to the teacher and says he understands. And the teacher then says, what is this? And so the young monk replied, to say it is like something is not to the point, but still it can be cultivated. So this is a whole story. And then out of that is taken the main point, which is called the wadu, and which is what is this? And then the what is this is used as an anchor. So instead of having the breath as an anchor, you have the what is this as an anchor. So you just so the idea is to ask the question silently, inwardly, and in your own language, not in English with a French <laughs> accent, unless you want to for fun. And so you're sitting in meditation and you're just trying to find a way to ask this question silently. And then again, many different people will have different ideas about doing this. Even in Korea, you have different kind of uh, little uh, pointers. <coughs> Some will focalize more on the body. Because what we're trying to do, actually, with the question, is to develop a sensation of questioning. So this is not an intellectual questioning. This is not an analysis. This is not a philosophical research. We're not looking for the meaning of the universe. I have nothing against it, but that's not what we're doing here. So what we're doing here is actually cultivating together samatha and vipassana through the question. So coming back to the question, notice that when you come back to the question, you come back to the whole moment. It again has the same effect. Then the other point of the anchoring with the breast, all the question is the same, is that when you come back, you first your information, you see the thought, then you come back and you don't feed the thought. And this helps it to come back to its creative functioning. Same with emotions, same with sensation. So one of the points of the anchoring is actually to see what I'm doing. But what is interesting too is that as soon as you see the thought, you're already back. So sometimes the thought is clear, and sometimes it's not clear. So you don't have to kind of, you know, this is not a noting technique. But sometimes you can see, oh, this again, this again. And sometimes you're back to the what is this, and you're already back to the whole moment. So you can have the two cases, depending on what type of thought, or what type of emotion, or sensation we are caught in. 
So basically, the coming back to the question, the anchoring in the question, back to the whole moment. And then the important thing is that we're not repeating the question like a mantra. What is this? What is this? What is this? This is really not the idea. The idea is that, of course, at the beginning we might repeat it a few times as a means to anchor. But then to stay more with the sensation of questioning. So let's say you say, what is this? And then there is this kind of like pregnant sensation of unknowing, questioning, opening. Stay with that, then it goes, then you go back to the question. That's one way to do it. Another way I was told with one teacher to help a little with concentration is to do it in conjunction with the breath. You breathe in, you breathe out, you ask the question. But again, you have to see what works for you. Or is it that I do the breath, because you used to do with the breath, and just time to time I throw the question in. I think in a way, during this week, it will be, we're giving you a tool. The tool of questioning, as developed over many centuries in the song tradition. And then it's for you to, how can I use this with my practice? So we don't see it opposed to any other practice, but we see it as complementary. So in a way it's kind of, how can you make it your own? How is it going to work for you or not? Because I think also what is important to see is that for some people they really love this questioning. It really works for them. Other people, they sit there, what is this, what is that? What, why am I asking this stupid question? I mean, this is fine, you know? If you think this is a bit too, I don't want to do this, or it leads you to have more thought, come back to the breath, come back to loving kindness, come back to scanning of the body, whatever works, come back to just sitting. If that's what works for you. I think this is very important. We see this week as an exploration of a tool and seeing, does it work for me? How can I make it work and use it? Some people, when they do the what is this, it can make them a little anxious. Then I would suggest just do it a little with, in combination with something else. So see how it works. Some people, they do it and they think it's the best thing in the universe. So there is a range. There is no one right way to do this practice and to be with it. I think it's very important. We offer it because we think in terms of the, um, the element of uh, helping the factor of awakening, we think that in terms of investigation of the Dharma, this is a very interesting practice. In terms of d cultivating Vipassana, this is a very interesting way to do it. If it works, if it doesn't work for you, there are other ways to do it. Because it's quite a kind of a very lively, the way it's seen is that as a kind of a refreshing. That's why there is this song, song, as my teacher said, bright, bright. This is a way to bring brightness. This is in a way to, to bring inquiry in a way which is more immediate. So when you say, what is this, you say, oh, you might ask me, but what is this? What does it refer to? 
because there is also the, another question which is used in the Hindu tradition, who am I? At one level is a little similar technique, but then you have I, which has lots of things associated with it. What is, I would say, in a way useful with what is this, it's neutral. It's kind of, and so it's more about, we're not trying to define something with a question. But it's really more about using the question to open to the whole moment in a simple way. It's a little like you say, what is this? I mean, you could say, what is this in terms of, you know, billion, billion years of evolution and I'm sitting here? What is this? <laughs> or just, what is this in terms of being alive in this moment, breathing? What is this in terms of just sitting all of us here? But instead of using a question, because generally we use question to define, which can be very useful, but generally definition restrict and fix. Here we're using a question not to define, not to separate, to compartmentalize, to fix, to put in a box. We're using a question actually to open to our whole shared experience. So we can be with it in a quiet and clear way, in a wise and compassionate way. So that's really the idea of asking this question. Of course, when you ask this question, you might have answers coming up. I had a friend, but now he's... Uh, passed away, a very good friend. And at the beginning, he used to do this practice, he used to think, Chateau Marco, 1957. Yeah. Thing would pop up, and he had all this vintage wine. <laughs> yeah. So different people have different things. Truth, I don't know what. But the idea is to look beyond uh, noun, names, and just meet the experience, meet our lives. This is really what it is about. Not about definition, <coughs> but really about being in our life, connected to our life. And so one thing I think to be careful about when we do this question, because this is a, the, a little the, one of the error I did at the beginning, is one thing is really not trying, if you can, not to use the head to ask a question. And so not do like myself at the beginning in Korea. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? That's not the idea. So the idea actually is to try to bring the energy down. You really don't want to keep the energy in the head. You want to bring the energy down. And if you can, try to ask the question from the belly or feel the sensation of questioning in the belly. So the idea is kind of to really be something quite physical, more than mental, although we, of course we use a whole body and mind to ask the question. And so in terms of that, I think one important teaching in the Son tradition is effortless effort. So that we've done a whole day yesterday, we're getting used to the place, to the schedule, and so really one thing we have to work with on a retreat is this tension 
being trying too hard and trying too little. Having too much energy, too little energy. And also how we relate to efforting. Because often when we try something, it's, it, we have a tendency when we think of effort, trying something, doing something, to tense around it. To, to just, I think, it's kind of something we've developed over time. Myself, what I find, you know, I've done this a long time. And still, when I sit sometime, I find suddenly my jaw are tight. Like I'm trying to meditate with my jaw, kind of, you know, bringing more mm, with the jaw. It's very interesting how when, so the idea of effortless effort is how can we have some effort? We need certain effort for the posture. We need certain effort for the head, for the mentally, emotionally. <coughs> so it's really effortless effort at the whole level, mental, emotional, physical. How can I be really dedicated to this? And at the same time, can I do it in a relaxed manner? And then, and this is not the same all the time. Because sometimes we need to put a little more energy, sometimes a little less energy. And so it's kind of like seeing effortless effort is not just the same kind of effort all the time. Of course, sometimes it happens on its own. That will just sit there and it just happens by itself. And then all the time it really feels really difficult. I mean, they have an expression. Uh, Master Kuzan, the teacher we followed in Korea, used to say when it's hard, when you meditate, it's like you are dragging a cow to drink from the well and it doesn't want to move. So it's kind of like you're really dragging and dragging and not much is going on. And all the time this, he said, it's like you're pushing a boat uh, a barge, a little canoe on ice. You push it and it goes by itself. So, of course, through the days, we will have different level of efforting. We're trying to, to be a little careful with the practice as we explore the questioning in terms of effortless effort. And to kind of just also, also Notice, I think it's important part of the practice is to be aware of the body. Am I tensing it up? I'm a little too loose. Because this is what is interesting in terms of, you know, the posture. I think the posture, I'm not like one of these, you know, I'm not going to come with a ruler and check everybody's posture. Because personally, I think everybody is upright in a different way. My uprightness might not be your uprightness according to your physical condition. But in a way, it's kind of like, how can I find a way to see it? Well, let's say you start, and you have a little feeling of elongation. So the head is going a little toward the sky, so you have this feeling of elongation at the beginning, and then you find your posture. So you, you relax in your posture. And then, time to time, in the 35 minutes, you might observe that, Oops, you might do that. And then gently 
you bring it up again. Or you might notice your shoulder go up, bring them down. Or you might just all of us are different. And I think it's the same with the eyes. I know when we see it, we suppose, supposedly, supposedly, I've never been able to do it, but supposedly we're supposed to have our tongue stuck against a palate to show our determination. Me, I just can't do this. I don't know why, I mean, possibly it was a yogi practice. So we have many indications, but I think we have to see with our own body and mind how can I cultivate effortless effort at different moments in terms of brightness of the mind, in terms of energy of the body, in terms of peacefulness of the heart? And this will be different at different times. And so we will have to use different tools, I would nearly say, to cultivate this effortless effort. Like if we have a lot of obsessive thought. So what is this, my work? Or we might just come back to kindness. <coughs> kindness to ourselves, kindness to others. Or if we feel a little sleepy, then what is this, what is this, my wake you up? So just to see, how can I cultivate that effortless effort? And of course, uh, I forgot to, to mention walking meditation. But in terms of what do we do when we walk? So the idea when we walk is meditation in movement. So that we continue either with the awareness of the body, if that's what you prefer to do when you walk. Or personally, I love to use a question when I walk. It just comes on its own. Because it kind of like nearly like gives a reason to the walk as you walk. What is this? And so trying to find how can I bring the questioning in the walking itself so that it brings some liveliness to the walking, also some presence to the walking. Because it's interesting, we walk together in this room and so of course we might see the, the pace, what's going on with the pace or what's going on with this person or what's going on with the heat of the room or the cold of the room. I mean, there is many different <coughs> things as we walk, we might be considering. And that's fine, because that's part of the walking. But could we also tell us, what is this? Kind of helping us to be fully in the walking, with all these different thoughts and feelings and sensations at the same time, as a means to actually, actually ground us in the walking itself. So really also trying to bring the questioning in the walking, if you can. Yes? It's slightly picking at words, but um, this idea of developing a sensation or a sense of questioning, do you see that as being pretty much synonymous with curiosity? Or is it different? Well, I would say that uh, curiosity is very much part of one of the texture of this questioning practice. About, I mean, it's, you could associate it with wonderment, with curiosity, thing of that nature. But in terms of when I talk of sensation of questioning, 
I think it can be like a, you could nearly say a, a mental sensation because curiosity is more like I would say a mental sensation when actually when we talk of sensation often we kind of mean a physical sensation so that it's also if we can to some degree because I think yes that mental uh, sensation yeah but if we can also be more like an embedded physical sensation too, which at the beginning is not very clear, but over time, especially if we can bring the questioning more down into the middle of the body, we can experience over time. If an image comes into the mind while we are doing questioning, what do we do with that? Do we get that as a distraction, or can we see perhaps that it has uh, a validity of its own? This it depends. You know, it depends what kind of image, if it's a repeated image, because you see, you can creatively engage <coughs> with the image as long as you don't proliferate around it. I find a difference between seeing something and knowing something in the meditation. You see an image, it might have a certain resonance, a certain meaning, but can we just experience it and not go into what I would call like more like an analysis of it? Why is it there? What does it mean? Or things of that nature. And some images are just like, I would say, just like sound. They just are frost, you could say. And some images, yes, might have more resonance. And so just this is for us to see. Does a creative engagement is to let it pass? Or is it to just see it as long as it's there and then when it goes, it goes? Yeah, of course, all things can happen or not so that each of us has to see. Yeah. You see, um, <laughs> in the sun tradition, you would have no, not much explanation. I mean, my teacher gave a, few, a bit, but uh, just a little bit. And so since we have done also Vipassana practice, we give more explanation. <laughs> but also people will uh, talk about it in different ways. So if I give, uh, as my teacher used to say, you, uh, you give a feed to the snake, but personally, I think it's good to explain things. So what we mean is that, in a way, uh, let's say you say a word, clock. Not much resonance. Unless you have an appointment and you're 10 minutes late. You see the clock, you'll have lots of resonance. So it's the same if you say, uh, Om Mani Padme Hum, this is a mantra, it has a certain religious resonance for some people, for some other it would be, what, what does that mean, what this word, no resonance. So if you say, what is this inside yourself silently, 
as a question. Because in a way, what is the most important element of the question? It's actually the question mark. We're trying to become like a question mark, but a stable, grounded one. So you say, what is this? And there is a little, tiny kind of sensation of questioning in the body and mind. You could say it's a little akin to if you lose something. You know, once I lost some pair of shoes my mother bought me, she thought they were expensive and everything, and I lost them. And every time I thought of these shoes, it was like, it's like a question mark. I had this experience of not knowing, of perplexity, of unanswered questioning, you could say. And so this feels different than saying a block of cheese. It has a kind of different resonance. So you say, what is this? And there is that resonance. If you feel it, I mean, you might think, what is that? What's a stupid question? But then it would not have any resonance. And then you just stay with that for a few seconds. Because generally, generally it will quickly go. That's for you to see. Does it resonate in me for long? Or does it resonate for just a little bit? And then when it's gone, you can come back to the question. So that's one technique. That's one technique. Staying with the resonance of the question when it goes back to the question. Another technique, as I said, you breathe in, as you breathe out, what is this? My teacher had another technique, which was, what is this? What is this? So we were thinking more of it as a circle, as a continuous circle. So different teachers have little different angle on it. <coughs> okay, if there is uh, nothing else, let's do it. <laughs> and so we'll do the walking meditation first. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.